Now, here's a, a little bit of a question for you. How many of you were here last week? Loaded question, obviously. Okay, raise them up, raise them high. Everybody remembers what, the, what I'm going to ask you next. You can put them all down. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. If you actually read through the book of John, that's great, but, you know, there's no extra credit points except maybe for Doug. Um, and so... Um, if you read through the book of John, that was your challenge last week, was to, to have uh, read through the book of John for this Sunday, uh, because we're going to be going through that here over the next couple of weeks. We're going to look at, look at a couple different statements that Jesus said um, of I am, and that's what we're going to be looking at. And, and as we get started, uh, I need to say thank you to uh, Brian Jones, who's a guy that I heard uh, share some thoughts on this, and I'm going to pass on some of his thoughts as well. As, uh, as we go through this topic this morning. So, as we really get started, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person to your right or to your left, a little audience interaction this morning, and share with them the thing or things, if you need to, that are causing the most stress in your life right now. Go. Okay, how many of you are sitting next to the thing causing you the most stress? Okay, there you go. That's kind of what I thought for some of you. Many years ago, researchers uh, did a study, and they tried to determine the origin of stress in our life. They tried to figure out where it, where it came from. And uh, in an article written by Gerald Gabriel, they concluded that the origin of stress came from a 1930s clinical study and, and trial researcher by the name of Hans Seeley. He was this ambitious scientist who did clinical trials for, for drug companies, and he was the person in charge of injecting the rats with the medicine, all right? And then he was to study, of course, the, the reaction that the drug had on the uh, particular rats. The only problem was this. Hans had a phobia of rats. He was scared of rats. He hated rats. So he'd pick them up by the tail. He would drop them. And when he would drop them, of course, they would run. And so he'd have to chase them. He would chase them with brooms. He would scream at them. He hated rats. Well, he, the, the clinical trials turned out the researchers discovered some anomalies with Hans's rats. They began to find such things as they were developing ulcers. They were having different physiological reactions. And then they realized the problem's not with the drugs. The problem's with Hans, right? Uh, he was causing all this stuff. And so Hans himself came up with this term to describe the phenomenon that was occurring. And he borrowed it from engineering. And in this term, stress, used to describe what happens emotionally and physically whenever we undergo certain stimuli. The authors continued in the article to say this. They said, many of us could teach Hans Seeley's rats a thing or two. How? Well, we, work, we are working longer hours than our parents ever did, the equivalent of an extra month each year. Meanwhile, we are cramming too much stuff into our dwindling leisure hours. Our weekends disappear as we run errands, do the laundry, cook dinner, pay the bills. When we feel guilty about this and we can't find time to stay in close touch with family, to nurture relationships, to keep up with our reading, throw dinner parties, volunteer at the local soup kitchen, not to mention exercise. Anybody else feel exhausted yet with that? I'm glad we're talking about this uh, this morning because 
we just come out of probably one of the busiest times of the year for a lot of people with the holidays and, and the traveling and all the stuff that they had to do and take care of. And New Year's is a good opportunity for all of us to look back and to think about how we've been living our lives and, and if anything we desire to be different moving forward. Jesus said this in John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at a couple of these I am statements from Jesus. And and this I am is taken from the Hebrew word Yahweh. When when God told the people what his name was, he said I am. He said Yahweh in, in Hebrew. And when we translate that Hebrew into Greek, it's the word ego ami, I am. And it's a phrase Jesus used whenever he said I am the vine and you are the branches You stay in me, you're going to bear much fruit. Now, when the Bible speaks of of staying in in him, there's a couple different ways to think about that staying and remaining in him. The first one is, is when we nurture our spiritual relationship with the Lord. When we read our Bible and when we worship and when we pray and when we serve. When we do those types of things, that's one way. The other way might be to, to look at it in the way in which we organize our life. How we live our lives in such a way that we stay connected to him and That's really what I want to focus on today is is how do we live our lives in such a way to stay connected to the Lord? I invite you to grab your bulletins and follow along. Just a couple of blanks there to fill in this morning. Um, The very first thing that I want to point out is that the Bible teaches us that there's a natural rhythm to our day. There's just a natural rhythm to our day. There's a flow that we need to focus on. Uh, there's uh, on the screen behind me, we're going to read a few verses from Genesis again. Genesis chapter one, verses three through five. It says this, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Now that word good, there is the word tobe in Greek. All right. Tobe. And it means it works. It is a a, a healthy thing. It is good. That's what it means. That's going to become kind of significant as we move forward through this. It continues. And he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. And then it says this, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, does anybody find that just a little odd? There was evening and there was morning the first, shouldn't it be there was morning, then there's evening the first day, right? Doesn't that make a lot more sense to us today? And yet, if you look throughout the first chapter of Genesis, you see that pattern continuing. Verse 8, God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, there was morning the second day. Verses 12 and 13, and God saw that it was good, that it was tobe, you know, after he created something else. And there was evening, there was morning the third day. Now, why does it say it that way? Why is it that the text says there was evening, and there was morning, and then there was, that was considered a day? Well, We have to understand the ancient Hebrew understanding of how the days work in a particular week. Uh, How many of you have friends that are Jewish or Seventh-day Adventists and they practice the Sabbath or they observe the Sabbath? A few of you? Okay. When does Sabbath start? Sundown Friday, right? And when's it over? Sundown Saturday. Sundown to sundown. 
it's, it's a little different, right? The day starts in the evening at sundown, and it rolls through the next day until evening at sundown. And I want to compare how we live our life, how we structure our day, compared to the biblical view of a day. It should uh, pop up here on the screen behind me. Uh, on the left-hand side of the screen, uh, when you get up in the morning, what time do you get up in the morning? Yeah, Some of you get up before 6, some of you after 6, some of you at 6. We're just going to, for general purposes, and I understand this does not fit everyone, but let's just kind of speak in generalities, all right? Because it'll make my life a lot easier. But let's say the day starts at 6 in the morning. What do you do? You get up. You get ready for work, you do, the, you, know, you, you do all those things, and then you go to work. And you spend the entire day at work, roughly until sundown. And we're going to say that's 6 p.m. Now, granted, depends on where you are and what time of year it is. You know, now it gets dark at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So, you know, sundown's a little earlier. But the idea is that we get up, we go, and we spend our day at work. Right? That's, that's what we do. And then from sun, da- sun, from sun up to sundown, basically we devote our time to work. And then what do you do at that point? Well, typically you eat dinner. I mean, in a, in a general rule, we eat dinner. And after that, you're supposed to stop working. Everyone kind of accepts the fact that once you kind of make it home, you're supposed to stop working, right? Now, we accept it. Practice may be different. But we accept the fact that that's what you're supposed to do. And then what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to spend time in relationships, Right? with your family, with your kids, with your small group, or or whatever it is, until you go to bed. That's our culture. That's how we orient our life, and that's how we do a typical day. But the biblical understanding of a way a day is supposed to work is different. It begins at sundown with relationships. Relationships then give way to rest. Rest then gives way to sunup, to morning, when you work all day. And then at the end of the workday, the sun goes down, and then... The day begins. And that's a completely different concept of a flip-flop way to live and think about your life. The day begins at sundown, at leisure time, at family. Then it leads into rest. Then whatever you have left over is put in to work. Now, why is that important? Why do we talk about it? Well, it's important because think about your typical day, our typical day as a culture here in where we live, the question becomes this. Is it working? Is it healthy? Is it tov? Is it good? And I want to suggest that when looking at my life and in talking to you, it's not. It's not healthy. It's not good. It's not tov. We see that our relationships aren't working, that our, our day is not going well. And, and the question becomes, why have we adopted this idea in our culture today? Why do we accept that? Why do we live our life in such a way? Another way to ask this question and to kind of think about it is this. When you look at your typical day, what part of your day is getting the best you? What part of your day is getting the most energy and the most passion and the most creativity? What part of the day is the best you? Is it work? Is it relationships? Is it rest? Which area, as a result of where you put all your, most of your passion, what part is getting the leftovers? What part's getting just the rest? The seconds. You see what happens. And we, we don't really realize this. We, we know it, but we don't recognize it. Is that we'll be spending... Oh, hold on just a second. Hello? No, I'm not busy. No, it's good. No, just, no, I'm fine. Yeah, no, 
sure, I can get that to you. Yeah, now? Sure, no, no problem at all. I'll get right on that. Or we're like this, right? We're like, um, yeah, hi, hi, family, good to see you. Let me, uh, yeah, just, just a minute. And then we take this with us, right? Great things, no cords. We take this with us to where? Dining room table, the couch. We take it up to bed. 7, 38, 39, 30, 10, 30 rolls around. This thing's still on our lap, and we're working, and what are we doing? We're just answering an email. I'm just getting a, a few things done for tomorrow. Just doing a little bit of planning. Just taking care of a few things. I'll, I'll be right back. No, no big deal. It's not. Is that just me? We spend our day doing the same. And what happens is the day just kind of mushes together. There's no real significant difference in our day because it just is all the same. And Jesus comes along and says this. He says, if you remain in me, if you structure your time, if you structure your life the way things are supposed to happen, then you're going to be connected. But if you don't, you're going to keep doing stuff because we'll be able to keep doing stuff, but it's not going to be fruit. It's going to be like a branch that's been cut off the vine and it's laying there and it may still even be green, but it's, it's not connected. It's not going to be producing fruit. And, and even though it, it may even look good, it, it's not tobe. It, it's, it's not healthy. And, and we do that. We, we get, live our life in such a way that it, it's not tobe. It, it's not healthy. We spend our time at work wondering if the time we spend at work is really worth the sacrifice we're making not spending time at home. And we spend our time at home worried about not getting everything done at work. And we worry about work and family so much that we don't get a good night's rest. And it's just this thing. And we're, we're tired all the time because that's the way we've structured our life. That's how we do a typical day. And the second thing that I want to point out is that there's a natural rhythm to our week as well, as well. There's a natural rhythm to our week. Look at what the scripture says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. It should be on the screen behind me. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, what does holy mean? Well, holy, you know, just kind of boil it down, means to keep separate, to be separate. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it separate, by making it different. Verses 9 and 10 say, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it, you shall not do any work. And then it goes on to explain that everybody in the household, absolutely names, you know, anybody can think of, is not supposed to work. Now, what is God trying to do here? Is God trying to be mean and not allow us to, to do anything or have any fun or make any money or, or, or whatever on that day? No. God is trying to tell us that we need rest. That our bodies, our psyches, our souls, they're not meant to operate seven days a week the, the same pace. That we go. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to, to who? To the Lord your God. It's an expression of worship and commitment to stay connected to Him. And I gotta tell you, this is like the pot calling the kettle black. I am awful at this. And I'm convicted of this. And I tell people all the time that I, I preach what I need to hear and hope you'll listen as well. I need to hear this too. I'm not good at putting it away. I'm not good at turning it off. I'm just not. I don't do that very well. And the frustrating thing sometimes for me is I'll plan a time. Okay, I'm going to be good at this. I'm going to schedule a time that, that I'm going to rest. And something comes up. That ever happened to you? Just, yeah, yeah everybody's going, uh-huh. Yeah, it happens. And, and it's, it's frustrating, but 
That's the way it works in our culture. Our word Sabbath in English comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means this. Stop. Shabbat. Stop. Everybody do that. You ready? Shabbat. Stop. We have to stop. That's, that's what he's trying to get us to understand. Six days you go about your pace. Six days you go about your natural way of doing things with doing relationships and then rest and then work. Remember, that's the way it's supposed to be. Relationships, rest and then work. You keep that flow going and on the seventh day, you stop. You stop. A clean total break. And in all, our culture today, I think what that means is we take a break from this. We take a break from this. We take a break from whatever those things are that really don't give us rest. How many of you are fake Christmas tree people? Anybody? Fake Christmas tree people? All right. Be proud. Uh, We are now. Um, wasn't always that way. We weren't always fake Christmas tree people. As a kid growing up, we were the, the real Christmas tree. You know, we would go out into the strip pits and we'd find the tree and, you know, spend a while and, and go out and cut it down and bring it into the house. And, and we used to do that with our kids. And I have to admit, I, you know, I miss doing that sometimes with our kids because it wasn't just about getting a tree. You know, it was an adventure. It was something uh, to go do. Uh, but the reason we became artificial tree people was because oftentimes we'd be traveling over Christmas and Whenever you would travel, what's in the back of your mind? Is the house going to burn down because, the, you know, right? You know, the tree, if you, you know, you touch the tree after it's been up a while, and what happens? The needles fall off, it's a fire hazard, all this stuff. Um, here's, whenever you, you cut down a tree, what do you have to do? There's a drill, right? You cut it down, you add the water, you add the sugar to it, you turn off the heater next to it, you, you do all these things to try to preserve the life of the tree, right? Let me ask you this. What's the shelf life of a cut-down Christmas tree? Let me ask it another way. Those, who, who has real Christmas trees? Raise it, you're a real Christmas tree person. Right? How many of you still have that Christmas tree up? Brave, brave souls right there. Either that or you've just been too busy. Okay, we won't go there. To get... Mythbusters did an experiment where they cut down all these Christmas trees and they left them up for six weeks. And the results were not good. Okay? They decided it wasn't really a very wise thing to do. The reality is, though, that those trees, they stay green for a while, don't they? They they don't look too bad for a while, but we're a lot like that tree. We're not too bad for a while. We can keep going at that pace, and we we can keep doing this. Some of us are better at it than others, but because we're disconnected, eventually, we're going to wither up. And things are not going to be healthy, and things are not going to be good. They're not going to be tobe. Barbara Brown Taylor said this. She said, I don't mean to make an idol of health, but it does seem to me that at least some of us have made an idol of exhaustion. The only time we know we've done enough is when we're running on empty, and the ones we love the most are the ones we see the least. Another audience participation quiz for you. Turn to the person to your right or to your left and share the first and the second of the Ten Commandments. Ready? Go. All right, you got it? First commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? And the second one is basically... 
No idols, right? No other gods before me. No idols. Now think about the way we structure our lives. Think about our life and how we live it from day to day. Are we much different than the nation of Israel? God comes along and he says, if you live your life like that, you need to understand something. God God comes to them and says, I didn't take you out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And then go to a mountain and stand before you and and just say, you know what? You will run ragged as slaves, but but I have these 10 suggestions for you. That if you happen to have some time and if you get around to it, these would be some good ways that you could structure your life. No, God didn't say that. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. And, and we live in a culture and a life today where this or this has become our idol. It's become our, our God, if you will. You remember the book, Gulliver's Travels? Remember when they capture him and they strap him down and they, they reach into his pocket and they pull out his pocket watch? What do they say? Anybody remember? I had to look it up. They, they were like, this must be his God because before he does anything, he consults it, right? Hey, you free this weekend? I don't know. Just uh, Hey, what are you doing? Uh, uh, what takes priority in our life? When this little jewel vibrates or beeps or does anything or this goes ding, not that it ever goes, you've got mail anymore, but when it, right? That takes priority in our life. But we're supposed to be ruling it. It's not supposed to be ruling us. And the idea is that you can continue to do activity. You can keep doing stuff. But the issue becomes trust. By creating a structure to our day and to our week, It's an issue of trust. It's kind of like tithing. Do you trust God enough that he can allow you to live off 90% and you'll give to him 10%? Do you trust him in that? Do you trust God that that you can work six days a week and you can do your thing six days a week, but on that seventh day that you shut things down and you don't do paperwork, you don't do planning, you're not thinking about it, you're not engaged in that stuff, that you have completely and totally just stopped from that? Do you trust that that God is going to allow you to do that and that your life will be better, that you'll make just as much money and you'll be just as well off individually and that you'll be told and healthy that if you'll do it for just six days, do you really believe and trust him? Because that's the issue. God is like this. He's like, listen, I need you to believe me. I need you to understand how seriously I take this. Look at what God says in Exodus chapter 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you may know that I, that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be slapped on the wrist. No, it says put to death. Why? Because God wants his people to be holy, to be separate to him. And he doesn't want outside people coming in and messing it up. Henry Blackaby says in his book, Spiritual Leadership, he put it this way. Unlike people, God never piles on more than someone can handle. God never overbooks people. God never drives his servants to the point of breakdown. God never burns people out. God never gives people tasks that are beyond their strength or ability he provides. There's an interesting survey 
done uh, many years ago now when they asked people to think back and share what their favorite day of the week was as a kid. You know what the result was? Let me ask you. You turn to the person to the right or your left. Tell them, share with them, what, what's your favorite day of the week? What it was or maybe what it is or both. Whatever that may be. Go. Okay. Now, how many of you said a day of the week other than Saturday or Sunday? Okay. Very few. And that, that would go with the... That would go with the statistics that they, that they shared. What they shared was that uh, the answer was, um, let me get there, the answer was Sunday. Researchers showed that the number one response was Sunday. A close second was Saturday. And then they asked an interesting follow-up question. They said, what was your fondest memory of Sunday as a child? What made it so special? And I have to tell you, I was pretty surprised by this. 36% of the people surveyed said that church and Sunday school made it special. I was like, wow, that really fits with what I want to say here this morning. So that's nice. (laughs) 24% of the people said a special dinner. 17% said special family outings. 9% said watching Disney or 60 Minutes on TV. Now, how many of you remember Sunday nights, you know, the Hallmark Hall of Fame or whatever movie was on? You remember that? Or Saturday night where the big event was Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, right? That, see, there you go. We only had two and a half channels. So that's, you know, we didn't have many options where, where I was growing up. That's, that's the way it was. 6% said watching sports. 3% said wearing their Sunday best clothes. You know what it was for me? It was Sunday. Not for the reason you might think. <laughs> As a kid, every Sunday night, we would go the quarter mile up the road to my grandmother and grandfather's house where we would pop popcorn, we would drink Coca-Cola, the one time a week we got Coca-Cola, and we would watch whatever movie was on TV while my grandpa snored. (laughs) And I miss that. I remember that fondly. It was special. It, It was important. Here's my question. 30, 35 years from now, your children, those of you that have children, If they were to be asked that question, what day did you enjoy more than any other, what are they going to say? Are they going to be able to say this day or this day because of this or that? Are they going to say, you know, I I, I don't know, because they just all kind of ran together. What do you do that's special? What is it in your family, in your life that is that is good and that's healthy and that's, that's tobe in your life? What do you do as a family? Do, do you have a, a special dinner? Do you, do you watch a certain TV show? Do you, what, do you do anything? Do you do anything that makes you as, as a family just, and you know everything's okay? When was the last time you truly took a Shabbat? And you just stopped, and you turned it off. Do you have something like that? God says that, that we're to, to start our day with relationships. God says that we're then to move into rest, and then whatever's left over, we kind of give to work. But the day begins with relationships. It's the most important thing. Relationships is when you start the day.
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, at least nothing that's important or good or healthy. One last thing. I want to suggest that this morning and when we started, when you turned to the person to your right or to your left and you shared the number one thing that's stressing you out right now, can I, can I suggest to you that in most cases, and not all, but in most cases, we experience stress mainly because we're not remaining in Him. Because we're not tobe. We're not good. We're not healthy. We don't have that relationship. We don't stop. We don't practice the Sabbath. We just keep going. The day begins with relationship. The most important thing is relationship. And can I tell you this morning that that I believe the most important thing is your relationship with the Lord? Whether you don't have one or the one you have is not good, it's not tov. What's your relationship like? Because that's what's most important to God. His relationship with you is what he's most concerned about. He's concerned about that relationship. He's concerned about your relationship with each other. And too often in our lives, we don't spend the time focusing on that. Instead, we spend all of our effort and all of our energies in other places. And then every area suffers because our relationships are not good. How's your relationship with the Lord? Is it tobe? Is it good? Is it healthy? If it is, great. Would you celebrate that? Would you continue to let it grow? Would you share that with other people so they can be encouraged and inspired with what you're doing? And if it's not so good, if it's not healthy, why not start now to make it that way? To make the relationship with the Lord the most important thing in your life. We want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond. And and maybe you need to respond right where you are and make a decision and and talk to the Lord about your relationship. Maybe you need to take it another step and talk to somebody about what's going on in your life. Maybe you just need to know more about this relationship that I've talked about here in the last couple moments. Whatever it is for you, we have a a time of invitation. Ian and the band, they're going to lead us in this time. We're going to invite you to make your way over to the cross where we can talk with you and pray with you and encourage you and And just help you be tov, help you be healthy in your relationship with the Lord. Stand with me this morning. We're going to sing this song. If you want to talk to someone, you make your way over to the cross, and we'll meet you there.